Welcome back, Fuck Demons. As a reminder, we are shaking things up to create a more sustainable schedule for Dave and I. So to get weekly episodes, subscribe at patreon.com slash sexnewswithray. Welcome to Sex News with Ray. Our special guest today is Marissa. I met Marissa in school. We're leading workshops together. We just finished one on STIs this past weekend, and we're going to be running pleasure workshops this December. Marissa, tell us a bit about yourself. Hey, Ray. Um, okay, well... Um, my name is Marissa, pronoun she, her. Um, I am a confidence and sexuality coach and I'm currently getting my certification for sexual educator. I'm super excited about that. Um, my ultimate goal is to curate um, different environments where women, where women feel comfortable kind of ex- like exploring their sexuality, their sensuality. Um, I like to overcome and break down barriers um, that have to do with shame and stereotypes. And I work with women to make sure that they can, they have somebody that can take their hand and, and go from there. Yeah. That's wonderful. And if you guys are looking for a confidence coach, the amount of times that Marissa has pumped me up just by being a wonderful friend is, you know, more than I can count. And she's got great hair. So check out her oh, social yeah. later if you want to <laughs> see an example. <laughs> my, my hair is actually, it's so funny you mentioned that because my hair has been like a point of non-confidence for me for my like entire life. Only since the pandemic has it been a point where I've like embraced my curl and like figured it out. <laughs> I'm like looking at your hair on Zoom right now and looking at my dry ends being like, I need a haircut so my hair can curl properly <laughs> like yours is right now and wash it less. Okay, let's get to the article. Okay. Today's article is called Rebooting the Pleasure Brain, Why Good Sex Still Matters. It's from Psychology Today, October 4th, 2021. I want to pause here and note why good sex still matters. Like, I feel like historically nobody cared. I feel like it's just starting to matter, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, when I read the article, I was like, why good sex still matters? Um, when has it stopped mattering? Why yeah. is it, when is it, like, when was, when didn't it matter? <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of a clickbaity title, but the rest of the article is pretty sound. So I'll give us a quick summary and then we'll get talking. So it was written by sex therapist and neuroscientist Nan J. Wise, who has always dealt with sexual issues even before she was a sex therapist. Nan believes that sexual pleasure is an important contributor to our overall well-being. And then she links people who can access their ability to experience healthy pleasures, all kinds, not just sex, are happier. And happier people are better able to cope with things like the coronavirus. Literally gives that as an example. Just more resilient, (laughs) more resilient to things because happy people are more resilient. So Nan conducted the world's first study of how the brain responds to orgasms stimulated by the self compared to orgasms induced by a partner. And then she starts giving some sex advice. Like, the biggest issues that stall our sex lives are a sexual love style mismatch after the new relationship energy wears off. And she has a quiz you can take to determine your love style versus your partner's. NRE, which new relationship energy, I'm going to shorten to NRE moving forward, is different from your baseline desire. So there's lust experience before the start of a new relationship versus after it's worn off. People falsely assume the NRE desire is their baseline. And then she explains her desire curve, trademark. The natural path your sexual desire takes from lower point at baseline to peak at NRE, followed by the slope back to post-NRE baseline desire. So here are Nan J. Wise's sex tips for us. Identify your erotic love style, that of your partners, and don't panic. Mismatched libidos can provide an opportunity to explore and expand your own erotic repertoire. Soulful lovers can enjoy learn to enjoy sporting sex, and rough-and-tumble lovers can find... Find the fun and more touchy-feely forms of connection. Use the bedroom as a playground to get inventive. Learn to encourage your own responsive desire by flirting, dates, getting dressed up. This is different from active desire. Like, we'll, we'll go into active versus responsive later. Um, ask for what you want in the bedroom. 
Address lingering resentments that dampen your desire for your partner and learn to turn yourself on. Cultivate yourself as an individual. So before we get started chatting about all of this and before I get your thoughts, Marissa, did you take the quiz? I did. Yeah. I, it didn't work for me. I tried to click on it. It took me on like a loop of does not, of not found. Oh, really? No, I, I, I did it. And um, it did take me on like a, this website no longer exists or whatever. But if you click this um, if you click continue here, then you'll find the link or whatever. So I did that. And Clearly, I didn't click it. hard enough. Okay, I'll have to take <laughs> it again after. <laughs> I was, do you want me to tell you like who I, like what yeah, I watched? What was your, like, yeah, tell me what the, I want to know what had happened since clearly I didn't click far enough. <laughs> yeah. So it, it asked me, I think it only asked me like four questions, which I thought was kind of weird because how can you get a type from four questions? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but okay. And the result was that I'm the needy lover. And do you want to hear what it says? Yeah, because that's the opposite of everything you've told me about yourself exactly. so far. <laughs> yeah. It says, the needy lover is, is needy in general, not just in terms of sex. At the start of a relationship, the new relationship energy is at an all-time high, but can wane as the relationship progresses. Needy lovers are less affected by these ups and downs of desire because their need for sex is triggered by a need for stress relief, and there's always plenty of that to go around. And the effects on their partner... Because the needy lover is focused on their own experience, they can unwittingly trigger resentment in their party partner, who might feel used as a form of stress relief. A partner that is more of a giver persona might not mind being used in this way if the needy part partner stays present during the lovemaking and isn't just about getting his or her own rocks off. I mean, the, the, did you feel attacked by that? Or, or were you like, no, that's not me at all? Um, so it's kind of interesting because I do use like orgasm as a form of sex relief, but I've never done that with a partner. No, it's like masturbation for stress relief, not masturbation. using a person. Yeah. Masturbation is a huge form of stress relief for me. Um, I was actually in, in a SAR that I was in a couple weeks ago. One of the questions was how often do we masturbate? And my answer is like two to five times a day. <laughs> like, And everybody was like, whoa, like, how do you masturbate that much? And I'm just like, well, like, it's when I'm stressed or something like that, it's just a good way to, like, release some tension. And everybody kind of said, like, I don't have time for that. And it's like, well, get a vibrator. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, make time. Yeah. Not every orgasm is a 10-minute orgasm. Sometimes yeah, like, it's like a 30-second. Yeah, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place to light the candles and, like, you know, let my fingers do the walk-in for – <laughs> for like an hour and a half but but like the majority of my orgasms come from 30 second like 30 yeah. second vibrator use <laughs> yeah it's not like yes i i'm not agreeing or disagreeing i'm just saying yes because like not every orgasm is is i feel like there's so many pleasure advocates that are like oh you should really get in touch with your body and i'm like nah i'm in touch i just want to quit like if i want to spend an hour and a half loving my body i'm gonna do it probably with another person because i'm a social person not yeah I don't know. I don't got time for that shit. I want, I want to come and be done. <laughs> it's so funny. Actually, I think of the times in my life where I most like get in touch with my body um, is when I'm with another person and they haven't been able to like help me to achieve orgasm. And so we'll be like lying there afterwards and I'll just start doing it myself and kind of like showing them what I want. And then they take over from there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's called communication. Exactly. <laughs> I think yeah. it's, oh man. Okay. I love talking to straight guys, straight cis guys about um, partnered orgasms. And okay. I'm like a partnered orgasm is any orgasm you have with a partner because they mistake partnered orgasm for penetrative orgasm. Yeah. 
And I'm like, a penetrative orgasm is not even always a partnered orgasm, but that's a different thing. And even then, yeah. we now suspect that penetrative orgasms are just based off the way someone's clitoris nerve endings are situated around the vagina, you know. But yeah. Like, yeah. Basically, like, their size and their shape and their angle of their clit, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. People just don't know where their, like, what their clit is or where it is. Everybody just thinks it's, like, a little fingernail at the top like a nub at the top of their vulva and it's like no honey that thing reaches down <laughs> yeah well now we know apparently apparently that's relatively new science but i feel like i've known the clitoris is bigger than we thought it was for a very long time we keep rediscovering it i knew that for i've known that for a long time but um but like i even taught my mom that a couple weeks ago that she'd had no idea so Ooh, i don't know I should, where i learned it but maybe i, don't I should know where call I my mom it, but, yeah. and see if she knows about the clitoris <laughs> it's an interesting conversation to have with a parent because you can't have it with every parent that's very true yeah. okay what did you think about the nre versus baseline desire portion i mean obviously like i think that's obviously a thing um I've been in a relationship before where it was like super hypersexual at the beginning and tapered out to like, we weren't having sex for like three or four weeks at a time. It was my first relationship. And, um, and it really affected him. And it, it was interesting because I never stopped masturbating during that time. I still had my like two to five times a day masturbation schedule, but our, our sex life was just like wanting to be intimate with each other was just like almost went down to zero. But I also have been in a relationship where that didn't affect it at all. And we continue, and that was for five years. Like we continued to have sex regularly, like two to four times a week for our entire relationship. Yeah. This article just seems very interesting to me in that, like she talked about baseline desire trademark. You know what I mean? Like everything is <laughs> trademarked. She has a quiz. Like it felt yeah. very, um, like, I don't know, hopefully our future. <laughs> <laughs> definitely hopefully yeah hopefully our future we've trademarked things and psychology today is quoting us in our trademark i mean i don't want to go and become a phd that seems a little excessive to me but like, yeah but like, good on you sister let's go for it we're not we're not i people get very confused when i say i'm a sex educator they're like oh so you do counseling i'm like no that's a sex therapist that's masters i don't have a master's i'm an educator they're like so what do you do i'm like teach people about yeah. sex they're like what do you mean like how to have sex i'm like I mean, if they ask, I'm happy to, but like, that's not, <laughs> no. <laughs> Versus yeah. like sex researchers that do research on sex. And that's this person here who does research and we just quote her research to people. Yeah. Well, I'd like to become a sex counselor one day, but I actually have no, like to be a sex therapist, I don't quite think I'd, I'd want to get there. Yeah. Um, just because you do have to be like a, in Canada, I think you do have to be a doctor in order to be a sex therapist. That's it. You have to have your PhD. And it's just yeah. like, no, thanks. I don't want to do that. I hardly want to do my master's, but like, but like I do want to have the counseling kind of aspect. And there's so many places in Canada where you have to have your master's in order to do counseling. All right. So let's talk about pleasure because I know our pleasure workshop is coming up in December and you're very yes. passionate about pleasure. I am very passionate about pleasure. Why is it important to you as a sex educator or just you in general? Just as a person. The reason I am passionate about pleasure as a person is because I did not experience pleasure like with somebody else until I was 24. Um, up until that point, I was I was doing all the pleasuring. You know, I never felt pleasure from any sexual activity that I got. I never felt um, pleasure from any sort of um, touch from anybody else. It was strictly like, how can I pleasure this person? Because I, I don't know, I somehow assumed that that was my role. Like I was, I was like, 
that was my job was to make sure they were having a good time. So I didn't focus at all on like my own pleasure unless it came from myself. So I don't know if that was coming, but that's why it's important to me is because most, a lot of women are, are the same. And I say women, um, because I think that the media is so biased against women's pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Or has yeah. been historically. I think we're doing yeah. better now. Oh, for sure. I think we're doing better overall now, but um, it's definitely taken us a long time to get here. Yeah. One of my friends, Steve, um, will tell me about hooking up. Like for guys hooking up, it doesn't matter if it's good sex or bad sex, because either way you're having a good time and it's enjoyable for you. Mediocre sex for guys is still better than no sex at all. I, I mean, I should say this person has a high sex drive, but like I've heard my straight friends talking, my straight male friends talking about how like, well, yeah, no, they'll fuck any, you know, like it's not a big deal because no matter what, they're having a good time. And I'm like, that is so like, I, I feel like young men are taught from a very young age what pleasure looks like for them and what the experience is. No one enters into a like high school sexual experience knowing what to do. And yet somehow we all as women know what is expected of us to do and what the body part is that we're supposed to touch. But guys don't know that. They don't know that the body part you're supposed to be touching is the clitoris. That's the part. That's the part. And I still get that so much actually in my own sex life. Like um, I've had to like, sometimes I feel like a coach just in the bedroom because I'm trying to communicate and they don't know what they're doing so much, you know? <laughs> and it's, um, like they'll be penetrating me in some way with their fingers or, you know, with their penis or whatever. And I'm like, you have to, like, you have to stimulate my clitoris in order for me to feel something. You know, you have to stimulate my clitoris in order for me to like be aroused. <laughs> okay. And I, um, and so many men are just completely unaware of that. They think that the end all be all is, you know, how fast can you put it in and out? Yeah. Well, in moments like that, when I've had partners like that, my response was always to just um, show them what they're doing by not touching their dick. <laughs> um, I've told you the story about my my ex, right? And what I did tell me them. anyway. Tell tell <laughs> tell my listeners the story. Oh my god, I loved it. I, it was one of my favorite mo moments of my entire life, just because it was such a power move. Um, I was with this man, and um, he was the first man actually to ever give me an orgasm, and. It had been like six months since he had actively tried to give me an orgasm. And so one day we were having sex and I was, um, I was on top and I just got off and I left and I went and I started making a grilled cheese sandwich. And, like, you know, like, and, and he was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you going? And I was like, oh, I'm just going to make a sandwich. I'm done now. And, and he was so mad and he came to the kitchen and he was like yelling at me because I had just left him in this in the middle of us having sex and um <laughs> and he was like how can you do that how can you do that and I was like this is literally what you're doing to me every single time you have sex you're finished so I no longer get to experience my like pleasure for for me <laughs> like I I no longer get to experience what we're trying to experience together because you've finished now well, I have, I'm finished, you know, like, so I'm going to eat this sandwich and, and go about my day and you can figure out the rest on yourself, like by yourself. And he was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize blah, 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 all of that. Um, but then was trying to like coax me back into the bedroom and, and be like, come on, like, let's just keep going, keep going. And I was like, no, I think I'm proving a point here. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's the thing. Like, why is sex over when he's the one who says when it's mm -hmm. over? Exactly. I feel like it, like it's over when both people agree that it's over. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it was 
it was, yeah, it was one of my very favorite moments of my entire life because it proved a point. And up at, like after that, it was always a wholehearted attempt. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. And I don't, I'm not somebody who like, if I'm having sex, expects an orgasm every single time. I don't actually expect that. But if that's like, if that's something I want out of that session, then then that's something I get to, I think that I should get to experience in some form. Yeah. Sex is a journey, not a yeah. destination. Exactly. Or rather, I think like all the best sex I've had has been about the journey to the destination. The destination does or does not happen, but the journey itself is usually a pretty good time. The best sex I've ever had was with a man who never, who I, I never experienced an orgasm in his presence. There the you go. The best sex I've ever had. <laughs> that being said, apparently, apparently people are panicking about the orgasm gap, which I'm sure you've heard of, which of is course I've heard of. <laughs> men orgasm far more than women do in partnered situations. Um, you know, gay women partner or orgasm the most in partnered situations. Gay men actually orgasm the most out of anyone. And I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. That being said, I don't want to pressure anyone into feeling like they have to orgasm no. every single time they have sex. That's not the point of learning about pleasure. No, I agree. And I, like, I actually did a post about the orgasm gap. Um, it was one of my very first posts. And it was like, it's heterosexual men. Like, they orgasm 95% of the time. Homosexual men, 89%. And then bisexual women um, orgasm the second most at 66%. And heterosexual women, by orgasm the least at 65%. I think the most interesting relationship there is actually the difference between homosexual women and heterosexual women. Right. Because homosexual women orgasm 86% of the time. And that's a much more reasonable statistic to be comparing it to rather yeah. than, than straight men just because the way that, you know, sexuality works Sex is different. Works. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, and I think that's because women, if you're in a homosexual relationship and you're with somebody who knows about vaginas and maybe has constructed their own vagina or something like that, they know what feels good. They know what they're looking to do. And whereas if you're with somebody who's only ever, you know, looked at a vagina from, or I'm sorry, a vulva uh, and a vagina from um, outside perspective. Yeah, outside perspective. There we go. <laughs> like, for me, it's kind of like expected that they wouldn't know exactly where to touch. It sucks. Yeah. But they sh like they wouldn't know exactly where to touch. That just so you all know, that pause is because Marissa and I are both actively working on being more gender inclusive in our language. Yes, <laughs> sometimes we sometimes we trip up, but this is a thing we are both actively working it's active. on. I've, I believe it's it's about like progress, not perfection. So I'm actively working on it. <laughs> yeah, when Marissa and I met, we were talking about how there's some cultural differences between our provinces, and hers tends to be a little bit more conservative. Uh, that's to both say in how they vote <laughs> and in their opinions socially. <laughs> That's um. That's like you know. I think last the last election we didn't have a single liberal riding in our entire province. The uh my my candidate that I voted for in my current riding is the executive director of an abortion clinic. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, I love where I live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we have a very different voting structure. We will vote NDP before we ever vote liberal. I mean, I only vote NDP, but yeah. Um, yeah. They, well, that's, we don't need to get political. American listeners probably don't care. Yeah, we do, I do it too often. So you're also a women's confidence coach. What kind of women were you working with? So I was working mostly with women who want to be more confident in themselves. So what that means is helping them develop a personal style that matches them, helping them develop like a love for their body, helping them develop their body image, helping them develop their goals, helping them to develop just like how to walk through the world and be a confident person. 
like my age grouping went from 16 to 45 um, because I feel like after 45 there's a lot of different elements at play that I don't have a full understanding in and I refuse to work with anybody um, that maybe I haven't I haven't walked through the same issues that they that they need to. Yeah, it's a little bit condescending for you to yeah. tell a six-year-old woman what she needs to do to be more confident. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I just any was there any commonalities between your clients? That's like one if you had one message to give all women who are working to build their confidence, is there one tip that you had to repeat over and over? Actually, yeah, there is, but it, it's kind of like a shocking one because most people don't know this. And I get um I get a bad, like a bad rep for it because people think that I'm vain. Actually, there is a direct correlation between your body image and yourself, your body image and self-confidence and how many mirrors you have in your house, a direct correlation. And the reason is because if you have more mirrors in your house, you have, you get to see your body in different ways. You get to see, um, your body, not, not just as you're posing in the front of the mirror, but you get to see it when it's lifting something that's heavy. So you get new appreciation for your body when you, when you see its muscles working in different ways. So the one tip that I always give out, um, just surrounding body image at least, is to get more mirrors. Get comfortable with your body in all of its forms because most people don't realize that if you can kind of, like I hate using the, the word like a numbing effect, but if you if you start like numbing yourself to the way that your body looks at its worst, then you have more appreciation for it overall. Right. And you you just become used to how you look and then it's not this big scary thing of, oh, that's what I look like. Exactly. Um, my best friend gives me such a hard time because in my one bedroom apartment, I had like seven mirrors or something like that. And there was Plus, uh, like that way you can watch yourself have sex no matter where you are in the in the apartment. I had three in my bedroom, just like three in my bedroom alone. And I had four in my living room and like two in my kitchen. It was just insane. Like, I don't know. But um, the first time you told me that I was like, but don't you get ghosts? There's this like horror movie trope where like, if you have multiple mirrors and they cross each other, that's ghosts show up in the mirror. Oh, crossover. Really? Yeah, that's how you get haunted. I've never been somebody that's like ever seen a ghost or ever kind of like, I, it's not that I don't believe in them. It's just like, I've never had those experience happen to me. So I don't. So I don't anyone who's afraid of ghosts, your mirror tip <laughs> isn't, hasn't affected you thus far. No, my mirror tip has definitely not affected me at all. Exactly. Well, I remember when we were in in class in the sexual ed, the sex, sexual health educator classes, all these people would report back like, oh, I kept getting distracted by looking at my own face. And then I'd be like, oh, my God, is that what I look like? And you and I were like, nah, we just look at our own faces because that's that's the e we don't need to worry about what other people are thinking or misinterpreting their faces. Yeah. So looking at your own face is a good home base because, you know, you're not distracted by what is this person thinking? Oh, did right. I say this wrong? Yeah. Like, why is their face like? Is that just like an ew kind of face? Like, what did I say or is wrong that just there? Their face? Like, or is that just the face? Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't get tripped up by looking at other people's faces. Yeah. If you just look at yours, then like, I'm very comfortable looking at my face and my body. And so it's like, I'm, when I do that, sometimes I get distracted because I'm like, damn, I'm so hot. Okay. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's my biggest distraction is I turn myself on too much. I understand. I really do. <laughs> That's actually um, um, one of the reasons I called my company the Dish Cabinet, and um, my Instagram is uh, Marissa the Dish, is because in the fifties the term was like, oh, she's such a dish, or oh, he's such a dish, and it means like, oh, I'm sexually attracted to them, and I want like my tagline is be so confident you turn yourself on. <laughs> like, yeah, 
But also, like, I love that when even like Marissa the Dish, like, it, it makes you think of like your friend, your confidant that mm-hmm. you're like going to dish all the hot gossip to. Yeah. Yeah. There was a I lot thought of it was a great name. There was a lot of different things that kind of tie into it. But that was the main one for me was like, be somebody that turned like that's so that you're so attracted to, you know? Um, I don't know if I told you this, but you know, my, my website is Share with Ray. Yeah. It's a pun, but it's the same thing. Share because no one can pronounce my last name, Sharashevsky. Okay. Is that so what your it's last really... name is? Sharashevsky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how you... Because <laughs> it's unpronounceable when you look at it spelled. My last name is pronounced Sharashevsky. So I'm like, share with Ray. Like, I'm like, it'll be a great teaching tool for pronunciation of my last name. But also I have so many people who, when they would find out what I would do or find out how open-minded I was, they would come and just start sharing their personal mm. secrets with me. Mm-hmm. Be like, and and I was like, this is perfect because I can't put my last name on a website. No one can spell it. Yeah. That's yeah. actually phenomenal. And it's so true too. Like, pe- like you say like, oh, Sharazeski? Sharazeski? Sharazeski. Oh my gosh. That is not Close what enough. I got from your name. Here, wait, I'll oh. type it. I'm going to type it out phonetically for you in the chat real quick. Share a chef ski. There you go. Share a chef ski. Share a chef ski. Okay. Wicked. That is not what I got from the spelling of your last name at all. So yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> like I've been trying to say your last name for months now and it's not worked. <laughs> now you have it. Now you can remember share, share with Ray. Share with <laughs> but um, it's so true. Whenever um, I meet anybody new and I tell them what I do or what I'm involved in, they immediately start talking to me about their, their, um, personal journey with confidence and their personal journey with sexuality. And I always say to them, yeah, like, come on dish. And like, so like, yeah. And it's, it's just like another way to throw it in there. So this is why I know I'm not a therapist. When people share their secret things with me, there's a part of me that like half the time I'm like, okay, can you pay me for this time? And the other half of me is like, tell me your secrets. Tell me all your <laughs> secrets. I want to know all your secrets. Gossip. <laughs> like, XOXO. Followed up by, I should really start charging for these sessions because they inevitably want your opinion on something mm-hmm. yeah. and your expertise as an expert. And I'm just like, cool. Yeah. Buy me dinner. That's very, yeah, cool by me today. We can talk about this, but pay for my dinner while we do it. That's very true. That's very true. I guess I'm a little too, um, I need to maybe learn to set some boundaries around that because I'm just like, yeah, like, let's talk about it. Like, I mean, it depends on, I think it really depends on the person, but yeah. One thing that I picked out in the article that I think might be interesting for us to talk about is active versus responsive desire. Because the article talks about it. We've learned a lot about it. So do you want to take a stab at defining active versus responsive desire? Would you like me to? Sure. I mean, active desire for like, what I think of active desire, it's like when you get horny, like what's happening as you're actively being like, as you're actively aroused and responsive desire is more like what can happen to arouse you. Yeah. One of the ways that I've heard it defined is, um, you know, active desire is you feel horny and then you want to have sex. Mm -hmm. Responsive desire is we start having sex and then I feel horny. Yeah, exactly. Like you're activated by external stimuli and, you know, different times of the month can be more active. One of the reasons that I want to bring it up is I feel like whenever I read about this, when I read about it in a lot of contexts, they talk about men have active desire, but women have responsive desire. And that's where your miscommunication is happening. But I know a lot of men with responsive desire, and I know a lot of women with active desire. And I find that gendering the conversation is very unhelpful. I agree. And didn't this, um, this article did that even. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was kind of shocked that it did that too, because I have a very active desire. I'm like, you know me, I'm like ready to go. <laughs> yeah. And to quote, to quote, come as you are, that is normal and healthy. Exactly. And many women feel that way. Exactly. My start is like, it's super easy to push. Okay. Like, yeah. I see someone that I'm attracted to taking a shower and I'm like, do you want me to get in with you? Yeah. Like, I see yeah. a pair of Converse shoes and I'm like, huh, 
my mm. my little emo teenage soul. The cover of the My Chemical Romance <laughs> album, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, and I'm gushing. Exactly. And that's just a drawing. Exactly. A crappy red and black drawing. Anyway. <laughs> but, but I mean, I like, so, I mean, of course, I have responsive desire as well. Like, you can, you know, I there's active stimuli that can make me, make me, you know, aroused. But I don't, I don't need it that much, you know? And I know yeah. so many women um, and so many people and and so many men as well who need the other, their partner to initiate with them, like for them, like mm-hmm. they need to initiate the, the sex session um, in order to get aroused at all. And then you have that huge argument about like, well, why aren't you ever initiating? Yeah. Well, I find that there's that it's a lot easier to be actively desiring someone when you've got like flirtation and physical touch on an ongoing basis, right? Like active, because at that point you're kind of responding to the stimuli, but then a lot of people who have responsive desire will be annoyed if their partner touches too much or Mm -hmm. if they flirt because they're feeling pressured to have sex when they don't want to have sex. Studies have shown that overall more men tend to have more active desire. Overall, more women tend to have responsive desire. But when we take these tend to's and then apply them to the individual, they just don't work. And that's true for all science everywhere, which is why saying, well, women have responsive desire, as opposed to saying, if you feel like your style is more responsive, then here is what you can do to be able to turn, like turning yourself on and then approaching your partner. That's really great. Yeah. Well, it's leading as well. It's misleading. So it's, it's like, if it says, if an article says like, well, women have more active, or women have more responsive desire. You like, there's a lot of women who will automatically think because they are a woman, they have responsive desire. They'll just be like, well, that's just who I am. And not look into if their desire pattern is different. Exactly. Which is why you should read Come As You Are. <laughs> oh my God, read Come As You Are. I pedal that book so much. <laughs> I just bought the new edition and I'm really, I'm like, do I have to reread the whole thing? Can someone, I wish someone could just tell me which chapters I need to read for the new yeah. information that has updated it. Yeah. Like apparently there's a whole new chapter and I'm like, it took me so long to read it the first time. <laughs> and we are reading Mating in Captivity now. <laughs> Yeah, although that one I might finish in a week. It looks way easier. Oh, well, I planned I wrong, 36 but... pages a week. So that's... No, that's that's fine. I actually finished reading Polysecure fairly recently. Listeners, Marissa and I have started an industry book club where us and, and Katie from last season, we're all going to be reading uh, books together because we need to stay up to date on uh, the information in our industry. Mm, yeah. So when I bought Mating in Captivity, which is going to be our first book club book, I also bought Polysecure. And I read it and was like, oh, this is very fascinating. I have three friends who need to read this. <laughs> and I'm like, you're going to read it first and then you're going to pass it to that friend. And it talks a lot about, atta- like it's, Polysecure is about attachment theory and polyamorous relationships and how how you attach as a child affects your relationships as an adult. But a lot of the literature out there says, well, if you're struggling to attach, monogamy is the only answer. So this mm. first wrote a book saying how do you form healthy multiple attachments that are healthy when the answer is not monogamy and also when you cannot take those normal steps like marriage or kids to secure an attachment what then so there's this one section that talks about porous boundaries and losing yourself in a lover and i'm like oh i have three friends who must read this because (laughs) that's not me but that's something they've complained about a few times excellent i love it i'm gonna read that one too yeah yeah. Totally. And it, it doesn't take very long. It's a pretty easy read. Yeah. I'm, I pet it like with come as you are. I, I, I shop at like thrift stores just like constantly. And whenever I see that at any kind of thrift store or secondhand bookstore, I, I buy it immediately and just to give, give it to, a gift to someone, just give yeah. it to new friends all the time. I'm just like, you need to read this, like read this book. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that with the ethical slut, I think. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Which is ironic. I did something very unethical while I was reading The Ethical Slip, but that is not a story that I'm willing to share on this podcast. That being said, (laughs) you and I have talked a little bit about story sharing as an educator. Mm -hmm. When we were in class, we were actively told we don't share stories as an educator, not in a classroom setting, but you and I don't teach children in in an elementary or high school. So you have a very different this whole podcast is me story sharing to educate, I should add. What are, what's your philosophy on story sharing to educate? Well, um, in our, um, in our class, you know, we, it is mostly directed at educators who are teaching, you know, children, um, or teenagers. And in those kinds of formats, I don't agree with story sharing, but because me and you don't teach children and we've never had the desire to teach children, me and you talked at that, about that at yeah. length. Nor, nor will anybody hire me to teach children at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, I think story sharing is a great, like story sharing is the best way to learn. Uh, sex with Emily. She talks about like being that friend, like being that person that's just open to being super open about your sex life because that makes it okay for other people to open up about their sex lives and ask questions and find out if there's something going on there that they need to seek out help for. But if you're not if you're not being that open person, then you haven't allowed them the space to kind of like also be open. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it's hard so, to be vulnerable. This is a topic that makes people very uncomfortable um or something that you might have been slut-shamed for growing up mm-hmm. or told that your desires are wrong. And so being the person that says, "No, I don't think it's wrong and I'm going to show you by being more depraved than you could ever be." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to show you by being unbelievably obnoxious in my sharing of my sex life. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like I share my sex life with my mom like my mom yeah I hear like me and my mom talk about blowjobs all the time together (laughs) my husband told me the other day that his whole family thinks I'm a weirdo but they're not like rude to me about it and I'm like I mean I am a bit of a weirdo to them (laughs) because I talk about things that they think shouldn't be talked about yeah exactly exactly and like let's be honest I've always been a little bit of a weirdo like that's not you know (laughs) I mean I think I'm a really fun time (laughs) people like being around me yeah because I'm oh, because I guess I take weirdo to mean like just different than what most people my desires for what I want from life are different than the people that they're used to yeah my desires for what I want to talk about are different and when you are different you get labeled a weirdo yeah but at least I know so how to party yeah <laughs> You're like, but I throw a mean party, guys. <laughs> I host the best orgies in town. I mean, I wouldn't say that, but yeah. but I get what you mean. Like, usually when I tell anybody that I I, I want to be a sexologist or a sexual educator or just anything with the word sex in it at all, I get like these looks, like oh, how dare you have said that? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just like congratulations. Like this is something we're all doing. Well, not all of us, but like a lot of us are doing. And yeah. It's a normal part of life. Why aren't we talking about it? You want me you want me to talk about my politics? Why can't I talk about my sex life? <laughs> you know? I find it so tiring when people cannot theoretically talk about a sex life. Yeah. Or even like academically. It's like I'm not I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna talk about this with my husband's parents. That would be uncomfortable for everybody. I don't need to know about the actual sex my parents are having. I just hope that they are having sex. Mom, if you are still listening, I hope you're having sex. I totally thank you. After our um after our like discussion and with about like um, senior sexuality and stuff like that, I like ran up to my mom and I was like, "Mom, tell me about your sex life." <laughs> like, 
Like, what's it like? <laughs> I really love that what we learned in the senior section is um, if you don't use it, you lose it. Like for women. Yeah. One of the things that we read in our textbook was that one of the ways that you can prevent vaginal dryness or the fitting of the vaginal walls at that age is to have sex. Just, just like constantly yeah. have sex. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like the same way that like you're going to lose muscle tone if you stop working out. You got to yeah. keep fucking. And I was like, I love it. I have to be an old lady getting fucked. Like, I can't wait. You're like, I'm so excited to be old now and just like brag to all of the people at my nursing home that I'm still getting it. You know? <laughs> yeah. For my own health. Yeah, exactly. That's phenomenal. We talked briefly about how I will choose very carefully when I'm in a classroom setting if I story share or not, because mm -hmm. I don't want people to think I'm only sharing something because of a personal experience. And therefore, that's why it matters to me versus like personal experiences in my mind help open our eyes to what was lacking in our education. And I don't want anyone's like stigma or bias to keep them from having open ears and listening to what I'm saying. Yeah. But that makes a lot of sense. I wish I almost thought a little bit more about what I was sharing because I word vomit like just a ridiculous amount. And I sometimes I wish I just like thought about what I was sharing a little bit more. I have to say that I'm the same as you. Mm -hmm. I think that's why we like each other so much. <laughs> I too word vomit. And that's like a skill that I had to be like, okay, today we are in work mode, not not like today we are in a classroom mode. This is not your podcast. <laughs> if you want to talk about yourself, go to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. And I'm just like, I always love talking about myself. Yeah. I, no, I mean, really I love your stories. Your stories are always really fun. Like making a grilled cheese instead of having sex. Oh, that's my so. favorite. So. <laughs> yeah. Shall we take a break? Yeah, sure, sure. Hello, everybody. We really want to be able to devote our time to giving you entertaining and educational sex content. And we really don't want to have to run ads. If you like what we do, help us pay our bills so we can keep doing it. Join us at patreon.com slash sexnewswithray. We have three options for the Patreon. You can officially join the Deviants to Finding Elite for $3 US a month, and we'll shout you out on an episode. For $6.66 a month, become a fuck demon and get two bonus episodes every month on top of the shout out. I'll be reading sex news fresh off the press. You can join me twice a month for that. For $18 a month, Help us live the high life and we'll throw you some merchandise in exchange. To support the podcast, head to patreon.com slash sexnewswithray and sign up now. We are back. Are you ready for the listener question? Is this like directed solely at me or are we talking about it together? We can talk about it together. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the listener questions, I put out a call for listener questions on my Instagram and I did like a little sticker basically saying like, what are your sex and relationship questions? And I got some back that were interesting. So this is one of them. And I was like, this is so vague and perfect for what Marissa does for a living. Yeah, I was actually looking and I was like, that's really vague. <laughs> yeah, I know. We can try our, our best to pick it apart. So the question was, how do I get over the mental block of self-fulfillment? And I got no information after that. There was nothing, no follow-up, no details, nothing. So we're going to do our best. So my first question is like, what do they mean by self-fulfillment? Like, I just have more questions because what do they mean by self-fulfillment? Like, do they mean, they mean like, like self-love, like, like masturbation? Yeah, like yeah. do they mean like masturbation or do they mean like that they just want to be fulfilled internally? <laughs> so I don't yeah. even know how to enter this. Like, I don't even know how to like remotely... What do you think? What do you think we should kind of go with here? I would honestly say to this person, why don't you hire a therapist? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. because if you're having some mental block, how am I, a stranger on Instagram, supposed to know what your mental block is? The only person who can help you identify that is you with a registered therapist of some sort, someone who's trained to help you identify your own mental blocks and learn how to overcome them. Or even just like the right kind of coach or counselor. But without yeah. having an actual one hour sit down conversation where you tell me what you think your mental block is and we determine 
determine if that's what it actually is or not. There is no way I, a stranger, hashtag share with Ray, can answer this question for you. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I love that you mentioned therapy because like one of the biggest things that I've had to learn is understanding when I need to direct somebody to therapy instead of trying to work it out myself. Yeah. Because there's so much you can't, like, there's only so much you can do as a coach or a counselor. Your job is not to help someone with their mental illness. That is what therapists are for. Exactly. Yeah. So that's it. We don't have a good answer for you because you need a therapist. Have a great time. <laughs> but if you're talking about masturbation. <laughs> if you're talking, yeah, give us the answer to that one. If you are talking about self-love and self-pleasure. Again, it's like what I'd have to sit down with you. Where is it coming from? Where is it stemming from? Is it stemming from like, you know, childhood trauma being told not to masturbate? Yeah. Are you being shamed or something like that? Have you been shamed the majority of your life about like, don't touch yourself? You know, like I I get this actually with I have a lot of people um, that I talk to who are like ashamed to masturbate because they were told as a kid when they were like exploring their bodies, you don't touch that part of yourself. Like, oh, we don't do that in this house or something like that, you know? And I was so grateful that that wasn't something that happened to me. My mom just made it like, if we're going to touch those those parts of ourselves, we do that in the privacy of our own bedroom. You know? Yeah. She didn't like, and so she created a boundary around it, but she didn't make it something that wasn't okay. You know? Yeah. And so I would have to find out like where that shame is kind of stemming from. But as soon as I found out where that shame is stemming from, we could work through that, you know? Yeah. And I'm thinking also just in terms of mental blocks. Sometimes mental block is internal and sometimes it's external, like, or blocks, maybe not mental. Mental blocks are usually internal, but sometimes there are blocks to self-fulfillment that have nothing to do with you and everything to do with the fact that, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'd love to own a home, but I also don't want to leave the city because the life I would have to leave outside of the city is terrible. The block to my self-fulfillment of owning a home is the external force of the current real estate market, you know? And, like, it doesn't, I can only positive attitude my way out of that to a certain extent and then it's like great there needs to be a point where there's money either you're rich or the housing market crashes like that would be I'm an example really of hoping the external housing market just like crashes Me? honestly like i need a 2008 just like real quick okay oh my god right yeah. so that we can afford to buy things just so like yeah. we can afford to own a home maybe in our lifetime you know? i get it yeah i really do yeah on that note thank you everyone for listening uh, Marissa and I are going to quickly shout out the gentleman at Reliance Home Comfort. Hi. Do you want us to come lead a workshop on pleasure for you lovely gentlemen? Because we are happy to. Marissa wants to become your princess. Marissa, where can people contact or follow you? <laughs> um, right now, the only way you can follow me is at Marissa, uh, at underscore Marissa the Dish um, on Instagram. I am, I, I guess I'm at underscore Marissa the Dish as well on TikTok, but I have nothing there. So like, you know. <laughs> She's also like tagged in a bunch of my posts on, um, and she'll be tagged on our Sexes with Ray account. So you'll be able to find her easily. Excellent. Find me, please. Yes. <laughs> cool. Join the Deviants to Finding Elite. We have many communities. One is on Patreon at patreon.com slash sexnewswithray. Big thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers. Follow us on Facebook, IG, or Twitter at sexnewswithray. Submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email sexnewswithray at gmail.com or once again, DM me. Um, if you would like to have a full one-hour conversation, feel free to book me for coaching rates. Follow me at Wife Bay Ray <laughs> on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and Razor Latex on Instagram and OnlyFans. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blank and Brilliant, and logo is by Dolly Shots Photography. 